If it was for nobody else, it was for me, I'll say that. We all better be. Thank God he's holding on to our hand, too. Uh, But uh, it's good to be in the house of God today. Good to be a child of God today. Good to know where we're going. Good to know where we've come from. Uh, Praise the Lord for all his goodness. We're in a series uh, called about deception. It's called What You Know Might Not Be So. And uh, today we're going to go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 39. We're going to look at family deception. Afterwards, after I sent that title in, I thought it should have been domestic deception because it kind of goes together a little bit better. But anyway, that'll work. Back in Genesis 39, 1 through 21, we'll read. You're familiar with this. Let's read it together. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of All that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he said, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted into my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside, was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. And he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to us. To make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought, brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story of his wife, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. This Bible is a book of love, a book of hope, a book of miracles, a book of forgiveness, and on and on. It's also a book 
of story after story of people deceiving one another. Tricking each other, misleading each other, fooling each other. We looked last week at the beginning in the book of Genesis, the great deceiver, Satan himself, and how he deceives us and how he deceives all of mankind. There are many ways you can deceive somebody. You can deceive them certainly by out and out lying to them, or you can do it a little more crafty than that. You can exaggerate. You can uh, pass on flattery. You can mi- make misleading statements. You can just withhold things that you don't think to be said, need to be said. You can mislead in so many different ways. What's sad is when people we put our trust in mislead us, people we have relationships with. Listen to this. 65-year-old David Francis, he's the founder and CEO of Next Step Foundation, a drug rehab center in Pennsylvania. This is back in 2017. This drug rehab center provides housing, education, and support for alcoholics and drug addicts. He's a counselor there, and he helps counsel them from addiction because he used to be a drug addict. But he was arrested recently, back in 2017, because he was actually selling, selling drugs to the inmates, heroin and fentanyl. One of them died of an overdose. Isn't it a terrible thing when somebody you're trusting in is destroying your life? It happens. It happens in the family also. Our homes are under attack. Deception happens in the home many times. Uh, Let me just give you some statistics. Our families are crumbling in many ways. 30% of families eat a regular meal together during the week. 30%. Today, 57% of kids live with both parents in the house. Only 57%. In 1960, it was 81%. Michael Medved, he gave a statistic that was kind of shocking. He said this. Now, he's a, he's a talk show host. He's a psychologist. Uh, he's a film critic. He's a lot of things. He said this. By the time in America, by the time a child reaches six years of age, he will have watched more television, cartoons, video games, and so forth than he will spend talking to his father for the rest of his life. That's terrible, isn't it? If I was to list you some of the problems in the family, I'll just give you some. These are just family issues. There's many more than this. These are just family topics you hear from time to time. Child abuse, teen sex, teen pregnancy, teen suicide, adultery, incest, battered wives, divorce, step-parenting, child custody, alimony, single parents, surrogate mothers, abortion, midlife, homosexuality, swingers, gender reassignment, and on and on and on. That's family issues. When I was looking at this, they said now in 2022 there were 72 genders, and you thought there was just male and female. Y'all are way behind the time. (laughs) America is the only country where you can go to jail for spanking your child, and nothing will happen if you kill your child. Chew on that. We're going to look at a desperate housewife today. Not only had an eye on Joseph, but falsely accused him, deceived her husband, and sent this man to a prison. Falsely. Do you think there's a lot of deception goes on in the family today? (laughs) It does. 
So let's go a little farther with it. Let's look at Joseph's testing first. Joseph is in God's place. Let's look at the first three verses one more time. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, I guess it stops right there. Okay. Let me tell you about Joseph. You know this story. If you know any stories in the Bible, we know he was the 11th of 12 boys born to Jacob through four different women. Joseph was special to Jacob because he was Rachel's son, and that was really the love of his life. He was a special child. He was treated, shown a lot of favoritism, and the rest of the boys could see it. He didn't try to hide it, apparently, and it caused problems, dysfunction in this family. Not only that, but Joseph was, had God's hand on him, and God had special things for Joseph, and Joseph was just cocky enough or arrogant enough to let his brothers know uh, where he would be one day and where they would be. So that didn't help either. He was a little bit arrogant at times. But his brothers decided when they got him alone one day to kill him. But they stopped and they threw him in a big deep pit. Figure out what they wanted to do with him. Now he's in, in this passage of scripture we're looking at today. He's in another pit because the Bible says in Proverbs twenty three twenty seven, A harlot is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. He's in a whole different well today. Now, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. They deceived their father. They, they took his coat of many colors, put blood on it and everything, and said they found this. And the father came to the conclusion a wild animal had eaten, and Joseph was gone. Okay, the key verse here in verses 1, 2, and 3 is in the first part of verse 2 where it says God was with him. Now, he was sold into slavery, and then he was promoted up to the house of Potiphar to, to be a servant there, be his right-hand man, so to speak. That's the key we got to hold on to. God was with him. It makes all the difference. God was with him when he was born to Rachel. God was with him when he was sold into slavery. God was with him when he went to prison. God was with him when he went to the palace. God was with him when he was on the mountaintop. He was with him when he was in the valley. He was with him when he was in triumph, and he was with him when he was in tests and trials. God's always with us. I like what Moses said when God told, the Mo told Moses going into the promised land in Exodus thirty-three fifteen. Moses said this, if your presence not going with us, we're not going. If you're going, we're going. If you're not going, we're not going. And that's what it says here. Joseph, God was with Joseph. He was present, present with him. Verse 3 says something else that is very important. Potiphar could see that God was with him. If you've really got the presence of God on your heart, people can see it. They can see there's something different about it. You don't have to tell them how much you love the Lord. They will see how much you love the Lord. They will hear how much you love them. They will be very much exposed to how much and how much of a blessing God is of being in your life. You don't have to just tell people. Blessed people will bless other people. When you're around people that are a blessing, they bless you with their attitude, their joy, their love, their example, and everything else. Brother Al used to always say, there's nothing more pitiful than a half-full Christian trying to overflow. 
If you're full of God, you'll overflow. People will be able to see the difference and they'll make it, it'll make a difference in their life. So God was not just with him. Potiphar could see that God was with him and it made a big difference. Now, when Joseph was home in years gone by and he went into a prison or he was sold into slavery about the age of 17, he didn't come out till about the age of 30. So he was in there 13 years. But when he was home, he was petted and pampered. He was the favorite. But now he's in a whole other place, and uh, it's not easy for him. But I'll tell you this, before God's going to promote him, God's going to test him. God will test you before he promotes you. He's going to test and see if you're a servant and humble before he's going to let you be a leader. He did that with Joseph. He does that with all of us. Now, Joseph in Potiphar's house. Let's look at verse 7. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Now, I've already uh, skipped over Joseph in Egypt. Let me just say this. I jumped ahead of, of you there, Julia. He's in Egypt now. Just like Daniel was in Babylon, away from his country, he's away, and he's in Egypt. Egypt, let me just tell you four things about Egypt. It was made up mostly at this time of small villages. Uh, but it was a place that it, the Nile flooded every year and it, it helped water their crops and it helped provide them good soil and things like this. Egypt was a place of great superstition and idolatry. They had over 2,000 gods and goddesses in Egypt. Egypt was a place where they had great construction and great builders. One of the seven wonders of the world is the pyramids of Egypt that still stand today, a master of architecture and construction. Some of those stones weighed over 15 tons, 30,000 pounds or better, and they got them all put up there. I don't, people still wonder about that. Egypt was a place that, of great education. They studied the stars. That's where the calendar, the solar calendar came from the Egyptians. They studied medicine. They were, they were way ahead of the curve when it comes to embalming people. They were very intelligent. They were very enlightened. But he's in a unique place now. And he's in a very difficult place because now he's in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was an Egyptian soldier or leader, officer, powerful man. But Potiphar was a married man. What was his wife's name? I don't know. Do you know there's a lot of people in the Bible God doesn't even give us their name? Especially women, but the men too. There's sometimes... God doesn't even give the name. Let me just, let me give you an example. Who was Cain's wife? I don't know. Who was Lot's wife? I don't know. Solomon had 700. Don't know him. <laughs> Peter, Peter, the disciple had a wife. Don't know her. The widow of Nain where Jesus broke up a funeral and raised her boy up. We don't know who she was. Just a widow in, from Nain. Syrophoenician woman had a child that was demon-possessed, came to Jesus. Who was she? I don't know. She was just a Syrophoenician woman. The woman caught in adultery that they wanted to stone. But Jesus said, neither do I condemn it. Don't know her name. There are dozens and dozens of no-name people in the Bible. Now, we don't even know Potiphar's wife's name. Probably, she's probably glad nobody knew her name because it would be read throughout eternity. Uh, but anyway... She took a special interest in Joseph. He's looking pretty good. A young Hebrew, well-built young man. Worked for her husband. She noticed him every day. She noticed him a little bit more. 
And just her attraction began to grow and to grow into more and more lust. And she wanted this guy, so she just went up to him and just said, uh, got very aggressive, said, sleep with me. And, of course, he turned her down. I guess you would call this uh, sexual harassment at the workplace. I don't know how you call this. He didn't go to his boss and tell the boss, your wife is doing this. I guess he probably felt like he'd believe her and he'd get fired or whatever. He didn't bring it to his attention. But he, uh, he, he kept dodging her some way. All right, let's look at Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife, verses 8 through 12. He refused. With me in charge, he said, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He's put me in charge of everything. What he's saying. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. Now then, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her and even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. I wonder how that happened. Uh, she caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. And he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Now, he's resisting temptation every day. It's happening every day. She's wearing him down, wearing him down. And now the, the time is right. Nobody else is around. This is going to be the, the day. But I want to I notice this guy that was resisting temptation. This is very difficult for men, most men anyway. Uh, there's four things that he did that helped him to resist temptation. I always want to point this out when I get to this story. Four things that he did that helped him say no to a beautiful, powerful woman uh, that made him say, I'm not going to do this. Number one, he said in verse 8, my boss trusts me. I'm not going to do this because a man has put a lot of faith in me and trust in me. And he, he's given me a lot of responsibility. He cares about me. I'm not going to do this and hurt him. Number one, he said, I'm not going to do it to hurt somebody else. Number two, the reason he could turn down this temptation, he says, I've been given a great responsibility. I've got more self-respect for myself. I'm a person now that I don't have to do this. I don't have to stoop to this. Not only do I care about him, but I've got more respect for my own self. Number three, he said, you're his wife. I care more. I care about you. I don't want to do this. I know what the harm is going to eventually do to you. And then the fourth thing he says, and I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to sin against God. Now, that's the number, number four is the most important of all. He said, I don't want to hurt my God. I'm consecrated to him. I'm dedicated to him, and I'm not going to do it. Those are all good reasons to resist temptation. You care about the innocent party you got more respect for yourself. You care about the person that's trying to tempt you, what it's going to do to them eventually, and you care about what it's going to do to God. Okay. Well, the woman didn't bother her. She kept on anyway. She was not going to give up. And so he did the next best thing. He took off running. And he ran and left his coat or his sweater or whatever in her hands. Now, the Bible says three times in the New Testament when you're supposed to run. You're supposed to, in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, you're supposed to flee idolatry. You cannot play around with idolatry. You've got to run from it. Number two, 2 Timothy 2, 22, 
you've got to flee youthful lust. And number three, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication. You cannot just play around with that. You've got to run. You're, 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 it'll, it'll trap you. And he left the garment in her hand. There's two times this boy lost his, he lost his coat when they threw him in the well and they bladed it up and gave it back to his daddy, his coat of many colors. And now whatever garment he had on, he left this in her hands. Both times deception was involved. Anyway, he ran off. Now, let's look at Potiphar's wife's deception. Look at verse 13 through 21. When, he saw that he, when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hands and had run out of the house, she called her household servants, Look, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until the master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. And as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, there's a whole lot of deception going on here. Whole lot of whole lot of deception, fraud, and so forth between Potiphar's wife and her husband. She's playing games with her husband. Uh, not only deception of deceiving, deceiving about what Joseph did. Now. He was thrown into prison, falsely put into prison. I looked it up. I don't know how true this is. They say about 1% of the people in prison today are falsely put in there. And so I said, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. That's about 20,000 people. Somebody had a better lawyer or something may have taken place or whatever, and people are in there for the wrong reason. Not a lot, but about 1%. Now, in that day... If you were caught committing adultery as a woman, they would cut your nose off. You could tell who was playing around because you could, you could absolutely see who didn't have a nose. Anyway, uh, here's my question. A lot of people, why didn't she just take it when he rejected her and just let it go? Why was she going to her husband when nothing happened? Two reasons. This is one reason. I don't necessarily think this is the one, but I've heard this one. She was... She felt like Joseph may go to her, her husband now, and she wanted to get ahead of the story and go ahead and tell him from her side of the story and all the, before Joseph came and did it. But number two, I think it was just because she was mad, revengeful, wanted to get even. Uh, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. That's the old saying, and, I, and it's true. She ha- You've got to be heartless when you can fraudulently and, and deceptively put a man and send him to prison, and you sleep at night like nothing. And there's a man in prison, maybe for the rest of his life, for all she knew. Okay, she definitely didn't have much of a conscience. Let's look at deception, domestic deception or deception in the home today. We looked at a couple of weeks ago in this series on deception. You can deceive yourself. And the scriptures that show you how we can deceive ourselves. Last week we looked at the very first deception, Satan and how he deceives all of mankind. They all kind of come under those three or four different ways he does it. Today we're going to look at deception in the home. It's a common problem. It's not unusual. 
people that supposedly study this a lot more than I do, they say that you're more, than, more likely to deceive somebody that you're close to than somebody that you don't have much of a relationship with. And they say the reason behind that is because somebody that you're close to, you'll go ahead and deceive them because you call yourself protecting them. You're, you don't want to hurt them. And so you'll, you'll deceive them in many different ways. Now, the Bible starts off with deception in the family. You can just, just go to the first book, and I'll just give you a few highlights. This is not an exhausted list at all. Of course, we know Adam and Eve were deceived by the enemy, and then they, they tried to deceive God by covering it up and hiding from God. Cain killed his brother. God came looking and said, where's your brother? He said, it's not, not my day to keep up with him. He said, I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. He was trying to deceive what he had just done, killing his own brother. Abram deceived King Abimelech because he was afraid. He told him his, Sarah was his sister instead of his wife because he was afraid he'd steal her. So he lied to him and deceived him in that situation. The greatest deception in the, in the book of Genesis probably is Rebecca. She had twin boys, Jacob and Esau. She loved Jacob. Esau was a daddy's boy. Jacob was a mama's boy. She loved Jacob and wanted everything done with him. And so she come up with a plan and helped work it out to trick her poor husband so he would bless Jacob instead of Esau with the family blessing. Of course, Jacob was full of deception. He was deceived himself. His father-in-law, he wanted to marry Rachel, and he worked for her for seven years, and when it come time to get married... Father-in-law slipped the ugly one in on him, the older one. Now, that's a dirty father-in-law right there would do something like that. And uh, he, he put, uh, this was Leah, she, weak eyes and everything, but she wasn't the one that he wanted. But he, he got her, he eventually had to work another seven years, and he got Rachel. But anyway, what deception. Uh, of course, this story is full of deception, how uh, they deceived Jacob, his boys deceived him and said that um, Joseph must have been killed by an animal and so on and so forth. Now we're, he's been uh, through this deceptive thing right here. Here's something I've never thought about. Dysfunctional families, that's the word, the psychological word, families that are not functioning properly is not a thing of the past. Many people say Jesus' family was dysfunctional. And I'll tell you why they say that. We, of course, we don't have a lot of history about the first 30 years of Jesus' life just when he was 12 or when he was born and a little child, but then when he was 12, and then when he started his ministry at the Jordan River. But you know Mary knew Jesus was not from another man. Joseph knew it because the angel told him. And so they knew Jesus was special. He was the son of God. I guess the, the other family members knew it too. I don't know. We know Jesus was intellectually superior. He was morally superior. He didn't have any sin. So this family, it was all messed up. And that's why his brothers and sisters never followed Jesus. They rejected him. They thought he was crazy, and they followed him after the resurrection. But families that are dysfunctional is pretty normal, even the one Jesus maybe grew up in. Now, let's look at two things, deception among married partners. I've told this before, but I'll tell it again. It does prove a point. There was a man cheating on his wife. She was suspicious of it, but she wasn't sure about it, but she just kind of felt something was going on. And one day he decided him and his girlfriend was going to go off camping for the weekend. 
And he told his wife, he said, me and the boys from work are going to go fishing up there in Canada. They were up there close to the Canadian border. We're going to go fishing for the weekend in Canada. We're going to be in the wilderness so you won't be able to reach me on the phone or anything. And we're just going to spend some time together, have a guy's day, a few days together. And I'm leaving Friday and I'll be back Sunday night. She said, okay, well, I won't have a way to get in touch with you. No, he said, we'll be, in, we'll be in the middle of the wilderness. There ain't no reception there and all this. We're just going to have fun and fish and enjoy ourselves. And he kept playing this up, letting her know before Friday what to do. Friday, he said, I'm going to be at work, so pack my bags for me, if you would, and get my suitcase. So when I get off work, I'm going to go, and we're going to go to, I'm going to, go to the guy's house, and we're going to take off for the, for the lake. She said, okay. He called her back later that day, and he said, uh, and pack my long johns. You know those Canadian lakes, it gets cold up there. She said, okay. Well, he packed, she packed everything for him. He took off for his rendezvous with his girlfriend. Sunday night he comes back in. His wife was waiting on him. She said, how was the trip? He said, oh, it was great. Great to be outdoors. Just great to get the stress off. Really, did y'all get, catch a lot of fish? Caught fish every day. I've never seen such fish as they have in Canada. Did you bring any home? Uh, 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 no, I didn't bring any fish home. The boys wanted them, and we beat so many fish, I didn't want any fish, so I let the boys have them. Okay, and he kept playing out his thing. He said, by the way, you never did pack my long johns. She said, oh, yes, I did. He said, where? She said, I put them in your tackle box. Your sins will find you out. (laughs) Los Angeles Detective Agency says these numbers here, 30 to 60% of married couples will cheat at least once in their married life. 74% of men and 68% of women say they would cheat on their spouse if they were guaranteed not to get caught. If they knew they wouldn't get caught, they wouldn't have no problem. In other words, it wasn't love keeping them from doing it. It was fear of getting caught. 60% of affairs start with close friends or co-workers. 69% of marriages break up as a result after the affair has been discovered. Now, Potiphar's wife was was deceiving her husband. There's no doubt about that. We don't know the reason. But here's the four reasons women tend to cheat or deceive their husbands with an affair. Number one, dissatisfied with the relationship. It's boring. Number two, low self-esteem. They don't feel good about themselves, and if a man comes along that shows them some attention, boom. Number three, emotional starvation. Men cheat for sex. Women cheat for emotional needs being met, usually. Anger or retribution, which is something taking place here. They resent the spouse has done something they're trying to get even. It's just tit-for-tat type of thing. Did you know there's a company called the Alibi Agency? You can look this up. Started in 1999. This shows you how sick our world is. They are a company you can pay them money and they can help provide you alibis for living your double life. They can provide proof to your spouse or whatever. If they want a a lie detector test, they can provide a fake lie detector test for them. They help you continue to deceive somebody, cover up your deception. Deception in the home is a big thing between married couples. Deception between parents and children. James Dobson wrote a book called Love Must Be Tough. 
don't know how many have re- re- read that book. It's quite a few years old now. But in it, he told of a sixth grade teacher. And the sixth grade teacher in California had a, a, le- a little thing, a little assignment for her class, her sixth graders, and it was, I wish, and they were supposed to fill it in with a sentence or a small paragraph. What do you wish? Boom. And she thought that's going to say, I wish I, I had a dog, or I wish we would go to Hawaii for a vacation, or watch, things like this. But this is the kind of answer she got from the sixth graders. <clears throat> I wish my parents wouldn't fight, and I wish my father would come back. I wish my mother didn't have a boyfriend. I wish I could get straight A's so my father would love me. I wish I had one mom and one dad so the kids wouldn't make fun of me. She wasn't prepared for the things she got and the wishes for these sixth graders. Now, parenting is one of the toughest jobs in the world. We struggle with it. We all struggle with it. Uh, You can mess up a child in different ways. One way you can mess up a child is treating a little child like they're a grown-up. You put more responsibility on them than they can handle. Or go the other way. You can treat a grown-up child like a little child, and they won't learn responsibility. Either one of them can mess up. Here's the five most common mistakes parents make with children. This is not mine, but this is those that work with parents and children say this. Punishment, number one, usually punishing children out of anger and frustration, jerking them up, slapping them, spanking them when, they're, when you're out of control and very mad, especially in front of other children. Number two, being overly assertive. Not letting a child just keep your mouth shut. Don't even let the child speak or explain themselves, cutting them off like whatever they're going to say doesn't amount to anything. Number three, your own bad habits. A lot of people say, you do what I say, not what I do. That doesn't work. Your lifestyle or your habits uh, are being translated to the children. And then, uh, so your example, that's one of the biggest ways you can mislead a child. Number four, overcompensating. A lot of people, I was raised in a strict home. I couldn't do this, this, so I'm going to go the other extreme. I'm going to be very permissive and very lenient with my kids or vice versa, things like that. You just go the other extreme. Number five, overprotecting a child. Those that are overprotected grow up with more fears and insecurities than any other children. You've got to fall down. Let them fall down sometimes so they learn how to stand. It's very difficult But when we as leaders in the family, the father and the mother with our children, if we're misleading them in some way, that's deception. That's what really deception is. You're giving somebody a false view of what you really want them to do. Here's another thing they said. Here's five ways that parents manipulate their kids. Love withdrawal. You imply to the child that you won't love them if they don't do what you ask. Guilt induction. You make the child feel guilty if they don't respond like you desire. The silent treatment. Shut down communication. Make the child feel unwanted because of their behavior. Humiliation. Shame, mock, put them down, insult them, name calling and so forth in front of others to humiliate them. 
Social comparison. Belittle them by comparing them to others. Why can't you be like this one? How come they did it and you can't do it? And so on and so so forth. And kids can manipulate parents too. Don't think they can't. There's a lot of deception that goes on in the home. One of the great explorers in history is William Edward Perry. He was an explorer that really mapped out the South Pole. He was down there exploring, and one, and one day they were going out on an expedition, and he was going to go due north. He went out there and looked at the stars and got his directions, his bearing, how he did things back then. And he was going to go north and map out north from where his place where he was standing or whatever and go north. And they marched, or not marched, but walked for about eight to ten hours in the snow and the ice, breathing frigid air. Their lungs were burning at the end of the day. After eight or nine hours of doing that, they camped, had something to eat, and then he checked his bearings to see how far he'd gone. And he was farther south than he started. He said, I know I didn't go the wrong direction. I, I, I know you got that much sense. But he didn't realize it at the time. He was on a floating sheet of ice that was going south quicker than he was walking north. And that's really what we're all up against. We're up against a world and a current that's pushing us. You can't stand still. You're going backwards. And you've got to move forward quicker then the world system is pushing back on you. The average car, I read this, the average car, roughly about 200, 200 horsepower. The average truck, you know, 250, 300 horsepower or something. But a locomotive that can pull a string of cars two miles long is about 4,500 horsepower. But nowadays, they even make them when they're up to about 18,000 horsepower. They can pull these things that are long. But here's the key. They're not worth anything if they're off the track. You get them off the track, all their power won't pull nothing. If we don't stay on track with our family and our home, we got problems. May the 1st of this year, there was a plane went down in Colombia in the Amazon a little small plane. Two pilots were killed. The mother was killed, and she was flying with four of her children. One of them was 13, one of them was nine. One of them was four, and one of them was one. So everybody on the plane was killed except these children. This happened just a few months ago. In the Amazon... I didn't realize the Amazon, I thought it was a big, the Amazon forest and basin, it is five times the size of Alaska. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's big. They're out there in that, and so they had a search party trying to find them, looking for them, the army, and everybody was trying to find these children, and they kept looking day after day because they would see evidence of life. Possibly they'd see fruit that had been eaten or something like that. But in the Amazon, of course, there's every kind of predator you can imagine. There's jaguars, there's uh, pythons and all kind of snakes, mosquitoes eating you up and everything in the world. One night, about midnight, came on the radio, miracle, miracle, miracle. We found the kids. They had been out there 40 days. 
I'm talking about a 13, a 9-year-old, a 4-year-old, and a 1-year-old. And they survived. The Colombia president, who was Gustavo Petro, he said it's an example of total survival which will remain in history. You know why they survived? Because their parents had trained them. Their parents had shaped them from an early age. They learned how to hunt. They learned how to fish. They learned how to gather things. They knew what kind of fruit they could eat and what would kill you. They learned how to build shelters. They learned how to do this. They learned how to do that. And in the midst of a dangerous situation, they survived all the predators. They survived the torrential downpours of rain for 40 days until they found them. They were trained and shaped and molded in the family unit. Now here's what I'm going to tell you. Is your family together? Your children know how to get a hold of God for themselves? Your children know how to withstand the temptations of fiery darts? Do they care enough about each other? Or are they jealous and don't talk to each other? Or do they look out for each other and times get bad? Families are in trouble. I'm going to close. I'm going to read you one more little, uh, give you one more little illustration. Alvin Reed, going around the country preaching the gospel. He'd been gone from home for about three or four weeks. He called home from the hotel he got his little four-year-old daughter. His daughter said, Daddy, where are you? And he told her where he was. She said, we miss you. He said, I miss you too, honey. She, she asked him, she said, why are you gone? And here's what he said. Because I'm going around telling people about Jesus. She said, why? He said, because God told me to. And then she said something that changed his life. Why doesn't God tell you to come home? Home is the place. It's a place of deception, but it's a place where if we don't get our homes right, we don't have nothing. I want you to stand with me today. I guarantee you, You say, do you have a dysfunctional home? One, one guy used to speak in seminars, and he would ask, anybody that does not have a dysfunctional home, stand up, and there'd be people stand up. He said, now everybody else that's not deceiving themselves, stand up and join them. We all got issues. We all got children or spouse or whatever. Homes are definitely under attack. And this world is crumbling around us. I want us to come down here and let's pray for home. We can go around the world and preach the gospel. If, but if we gained the world and lost our family, what, what have we gained? Would you come and join me? If you, if you say, hey, I'm praying for a hedge of protection in my home. I'm praying for clarity. I'm praying for honesty. I'm praying for deception to be torn away 
and exposed and dealt with. We're praying for homes. We're praying for families. We're praying for where we live, where we're shaped, where we're molded. The home is under attack today. Join me. Let's just reach out and call out to him. God, we're praying men and women, parents and children, brothers and sisters. Our homes, Lord, used to be a safe haven. Now it's a, now it's a battleground, not a playground. And God, we're praying the church will only go as the homes go. Our nation will only go as the homes and the church goes. God, I pray in the name of Jesus so every person represented here is a home. It's not just brick and mortar, a chimney, a fireplace. It's where people are shaped and molded and learn how to love and learn how to give and protect and provide for each other. God, I pray, do not let the deceiver have our homes. Do not let him have our marriages. Do not let him have our children. God, we're praying in the name of Jesus. Our number one prayer request usually is for our children. And I'm praying, God, even today, would you bring your blessing back to our homes? Would you bring reconciliation back to our homes? Bring forgiveness and healing and restoration and reconciliation back to our homes once again, Lord. God, we're praying for Jesus. May the blood of Jesus, may the blood of Jesus flow and cover our homes. May the name of Jesus be spoken in our homes. May the love of Jesus be shown in our homes. May we not fight and fuss and pack and attack one another. But may we truly say, God, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus for every home represented, every covenant made here today, every, every statement of faith and trust, God, we ask, restore our home. Restore what the enemy is trying to tear down and destroy. Breathe life where there's death. Bring hope where there's fear. Bring love and peace where there's strife and envy. We ask in the name of Jesus, honor every child of God here today and those that don't know you, God, I pray, may they, that's the first step of getting a home right, is coming to Jesus, giving Jesus our heart and our soul. We pray for that even today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. If you need special prayer, you can stay down here and pray. Praise God. Come back tonight as we pray for our students and our teachers.